With the new year comes the perfect time to try out some new things. So it's the perfect time to add native aluminum-free deodorant to your 2021 routine. I have tried almost every aluminum-free deodorant there is, and I can say without a shadow of a doubt that Native is my absolute favorite. Native cares about your armpits, which is why their list has ingredients you've actually heard of and can pronounce, like coconut oil and shea butter. Not just that, but none of their products are tested on animals, and almost everything is vegan. So you can feel good about your choice to switch. There are so many options to choose from, and I don't just mean their normal line and seasonal scents. There is a line of sensitive deodorants for those with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free for those wanting to cut down their plastic consumption, and unscented for those who are all about their own scent. And if that wasn't enough to convince you to try Native, making the switch is risk-free to try because every product comes with free shipping within the U.S., plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. So head over to Native and pick out your perfect scent. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com slash morningcup or use the promo code morningcup at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedo.com slash morningcup or use the promo code morningcup to check out for 20% off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. When you are a teenager and you fall in love for the first time, everything is at an extreme. Your emotions, your outbursts, and your desperation. On January 11th, 1992 a girl was killed in Madison, Indiana because of a teenage love triangle by a group of extremely troubled girls who didn't really have a chance. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. There are a few key players in this story whose lives you need to know about. The first was a young girl named Melinda Loveless, whose father was publicly considered a military hero but at home, was described as a sexual deviant who would wear his daughter's underwear and makeup, was extremely jealous, yet loved watching his wife sleep with other men, and carried out a number of affairs. When Melinda was five years old, her parents became deeply involved in the local Baptist church, gave up drinking and swinging, and Larry became a preacher and marriage counselor at the church. At some point, her mother was sent to a hotel room with a 50-year-old man and given a five-hour exorcism to give up her demons. After this, the family left their church and went back to their deviances. Melinda was rarely taken care of and experienced a lot of things that most people, let alone children, should never see inside of their home. She dealt with her mother's multiple suicide attempts, heard her father raping and gang-raping her mother through thin walls, and visited her mother in the hospital after her father beat her within an inch of her life. And while the extent of Larry's physical and sexual abuse of his daughters is unknown, various testimonies would give evidence that his actions extended to the young girls. He was known to scream at them and once shot a gun in his daughter's direction to get his point across. He was also known to smell their underwear in front of friends and family. In November of 1990, Larry was caught spying on his daughters and their friends, and their mother attacked him and sent him to the hospital. She attempted to take her life once again, and Larry asked for a divorce. 
Despite all he put her through, Melinda was heartbroken when her father moved away and severed all contact with her. She began acting out. She got into fights, complained she was depressed, and entered into counseling. She also began dating a female classmate named Amanda Hevron, a relationship her mother was initially furious about. Another key player was a girl named Mary Loreen Tackett, or Lori. Lori, who was raised by her extremely strict fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian mother, claimed she was molested at the young age of 5 and 12. When her mother discovered that she was changing into jeans at school, she attempted to strangle her. Her mother's extreme reactions created a rebellious streak within the girl, who, by the age of 15, was obsessed with the occult, claiming she was possessed by the spirit of Deanna the Vampire. She began dating a girl around this time who was into self-mutilation, a practice Lori soon picked up herself, earning a hospital stay and antidepressants when her parents found out. Two days after coming home, she cut her wrists with a friend so deeply that she was rushed to the ER and admitted to a psychiatric ward. She was diagnosed with a personality disorder and admitted she'd been experiencing hallucinations since she was a young girl. She was discharged and shortly after dropped out of school and met Melinda Loveless. The friend who was with her the day she cut her wrist was a girl named Tony Lawrence. Not as much is known about Tony, but we do know that she was abused by a relative at the age of nine and raped by a teenage boy at the age of 14. She, like Lori, engaged in self-harm and made an attempt on her life in the eighth grade. She was close friends with a girl named Hope Rippey, a girl who claimed to have a somewhat turbulent home life, though nowhere near the same level as the other girls. She did self-harm like the others, starting at the age of 15, but her parents saw Lori and Tony as bad influences on their daughter. I know this seems like a lot of information going into a story, but in order to understand fully what was going on, you have to understand the lives these girls lived and how they connected. Now for the last and arguably the most important piece of this puzzle. 12-year-old classmate Shonda Renee Scherer. Shonda was born in Pineville, Kentucky on June 6, 1979. But in 1991, her family decided to move to New Albany, Indiana, where she enrolled in the same school as the girls. This is where she met Amanda Hevron, the ex-girlfriend of Melinda Loveless. The two got into an altercation, but after spending some time together in detention, began a romantic relationship. Melinda was furious, and when the couple attended a school dance together, she confronted them about their new romance, claiming she and Amanda never formally ended their relationship. And with that, Shanda's fate was sealed. For months, Melinda talked about ending the young girl's life, even threatening her in public. So much so that Shanda's parents transferred her to a Catholic school that November. Amanda sent the threatening letters that her ex-girlfriend was sending to a youth prosecutor, but no action was taken against a 16-year-old girl. On the night of January 10, 1992, 15-year-old Tony Lawrence, 15-year-old Hope Rippey, and 17-year-old Lori Tackett drove to Melinda's house where she complained about how much she hated Shanda Scherer. Soon, this talk turned into action and the girls piled into the car and drove off to Shanda's dad's house in Madison. When they knocked on her door, Melinda hiding in the back seat, they explained that they were friends with Amanda Hevron and that she wanted Shanda to come meet her at a ruined stone house they called the Witch's Castle in Mistletoe Falls. She agreed, but said that she couldn't leave with her dad still awake, that they would have to come back around midnight 
They agreed, went to a rock show, and came back a few hours later. When Shanda reluctantly got into the car, the girls began questioning her about her romantic relationship. When Shanda reluctantly got into the car and the girls began questioning her about her romantic relationship, Melinda popped up from under a blanket in the back seat and put a knife to her throat. When they arrived at the witch's castle, they took a sobbing Shanda inside and bound her hands and legs, all while Melinda screamed and taunted her. They then took a shirt and lit it on fire to scare the young girl, but fearing a passing car may have seen them, stuffed her into the car and drove off. The girls, all while Shanda begged for them to take her home, got lost, stopped at two gas stations, chatted with some boys, made a call to a friend, asked for directions, and pretended as though they didn't have a 12-year-old girl tied up in the back of their car. They then drove to a garbage dump where Melinda and Lori made Shanda strip naked. Melinda then began beating her with her bare hands and repeatedly slamming her face into her knee, cutting her mouth with her braces. She tried to slash Shanda's throat, but when she found the knife was too dull, began taking turns with Lori, stabbing her in the chest before strangling her into unconsciousness, throwing her into the trunk and driving off once again. They drove back to Lori's home so they could clean Shanda's blood off of them and could hear her screaming in the trunk. So Lori went back outside and began stabbing the girl to finally end her life. Unfortunately, Shanda still clung on. At around 2.30 a.m., Tony and Hope decided to stay back while Lori and Melinda went out driving. Eventually, Shanda's cries made the girls stop, and when they opened the trunk, she sat straight up, covered in blood, with her eyes rolled to the back of her head. Lori began beating her with a tire iron. Eventually, they went back to Lori's house and began bragging about the torture so loudly that it woke Mrs. Tackett and she told her daughter to take the other girls home. All four girls drove to a burn pile and, when they opened the trunk, Hope began spraying Windex on the still-somehow-alive Shanda, taunting, You're not looking so hot now, are you? Before getting a Pepsi bottle from a gas station, emptying it to fill with gasoline, pouring it on the young girl at the end of a gravel country road. When Shanda's share was set alight, she was still clinging to life. When they were sure she was dead, the four girls drove to a McDonald's or they joked she was as burnt as one of their breakfast sausages. When they finished, they returned home, and Melinda called Amanda Heverin to say that she would pick her up later. When Melinda told Amanda what she had done, Amanda had a hard time believing her. That was until she showed her the trunk covered with blood. She demanded Melinda take her home, and when she did, she kissed her, told her she loved her, and not to tell anyone about Shanda. On January 11, 1992, Two boys found the body around the same time that Stephen Scherer noticed his daughter was missing and filed a police report. It was that same night that Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippey went to the sheriff's office with their parents and confessed to everything. All four girls were charged as adults and all four accepted plea bargains. Because of this and their troubled childhoods, none were sent to death. Lori Tackett and Melinda Loveless were sentenced to 60 years in prison, while Hope was given 60 years with 10 years suspended, which was later reduced to 35 years. Tony Lawrence was given a maximum of 20. On September 5, 2019, Melinda Loveless, the last of the girls still in prison, was released after serving more than 26 years. In the aftermath of her murder, Shanda's father drank himself to death 
and, according to Shanda's mother, Jackie, died of a broken heart. Jackie Vaught, as a way to reach out to the girl who murdered her daughter, donated a dog named Angel in Shanda's name to Melinda Loveless while she was still in prison so she could train it for the Indiana Canine Assistance Program. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 12th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.